0: That certainly is true, isn't it? more noisy things get in the world, we have our spiritual centers, don't we? Certainly, in Christ at Calvary, His Word, our times in prayer, our times with God's people, and our opportunities to be part of gospel growth and ministry. Those are centers that we all come back to, to maintain our spiritual sanity as it were, in a world that's kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, those simple things. So thank you for those reminders. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as you're turning there, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'd like to welcome any guests that have never received a gift from us. Maybe you came with someone or even if by yourself, we're not going to have you stand and be embarrassed, but we'd like to give you a gift. Did you just slip up your hand or maybe the person that came, you came with this morning could do that for you. Our ushers are at the back, and they'll find you and give you a gift. Anyone up here? Up here to the left? Thank you. Keep your hands up. They'll find you. Way up here up front. Thank you. Anyone else over here to the right? Tony? If they don't see you, I should be able to see you, right? From this perspective, I think I'm 24 inches up off the ground and I'm about six foot five before I turn 50. I don't know what's happened since I turned 50, but I don't think I'm six five anymore. My license, my license still says I am, but I should be able to see pretty well um, among you. Welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Um, I don't know that you're ever going to get a full sense of the reality of the, the nature and purpose of what Grace Church of mentor is as a local church in one visit, but we hope your hearts are encouraged nonetheless. We're a pretty simple place. Uh, We seek to love the Lord, love his word, love each other, and love souls in our community who need to know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ as we know it, as we've come to know it. It's about as simple as we get. It's about as complex as we get, but we're glad that you're here. There's a little slip of paper Inside that gift bag with the pen if you'd like to fill out that little card We'd love to have knowledge of your guest visit with us. We'd love to pray for you And if it's your heart's desire let you know a little bit more uh, about our church family and the future I hope to get a chance to meet you after the service um, If I've not already met you glad that you're here Over the next several weeks. We're going to be covering the next portion of this third section of Paul's second inspired letter to the Corinthians, it really begins in obviously chapter 11 and verse 1 and goes through uh, chapter 12 and verse 13. God willing, uh, through the month of October, we'll be able to cover all those verses and then in the month of November, uh, conclude this book um, that we began at the beginning of the year. So let's ask God's blessing on the teaching and preaching of his word this morning. And our first hymn that we sang this morning, it was a prayer to our Lord to open up our hearts to the truth of his word, wasn't it? Do you remember? I think it's a great hymn. I wish maybe we could sing that uh, every Sunday, if not formally, at least have that tune and those words on our minds and hearts as we're driving to church. Um, Let's pray his holy word will have that influence uh, this morning as we continue Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to look into the perfect law of liberty, to be faithful hearers, and we pray, Lord, to be faithful doers of what we hear. And we certainly need your spirit's help and guidance as we continue to work our way through the sacred text of this second inspired letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And we need your help in doing so. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a popular phrase out there that I'm sure most, if not all of you, have become familiar with. It just basically says, God uses broken things. He uses broken soil to give us crops. He uses broken grain to give us bread and broken clouds to give us rain. And that's true, isn't it? God uses broken things. Flip back with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as you hold your finger in chapter 11. And let's remind ourselves that this was really uh, a theme of Paul's in this whole letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a, a scripture on your device, our ushers are also willing to help you follow along by offering you a Bible. Uh, if you don't, maybe you forgot yours in the car or at home, a the coffee table or whatnot. But Tony can give you a Bible from the back. If you just slip up your hand and need to follow along, uh, please do so. But anyway, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And let's remind ourselves of these words in verse 7. But we have this treasure in these simple earthen pots, these vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be put on public display in and through our body. For we live, for we who live, are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. Go back over to chapter 11. It's clear that God has made us strong in Christ because we who are infected and affected by sin are not sufficient in ourselves apart from Christ to have any eternal influence at all. So God took that which was broken us and he fixed us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in him that we live and move and have our being and have our ministry. So the Lord saves sinful, broken creatures like us and by his grace sets our feet on a course of eternal gospel value. It took over 20 months upon Paul's first visit to the city of Corinth to have the gospel take seed and, and, and sprout. The church struggled in time. We all know that. Her deep spiritual struggles were addressed. That was Paul's first letter and his unrecorded, because it was uninspired, second letter. Corinth responded well, as we all know. The people of Corinth became gospel ministry partners once again. By the time Paul writes this third letter to them, and just before he makes his third visit physically to the city of Corinth... Corinth is walking forward again in renewed strength. And you can tell from our study in 2 Corinthians that the church is still gaining strength in her spiritual rehabilitation process, if you will. But nonetheless, it's certain strength. So much so that Paul invests the last third of his letter, the book we're currently studying chapters 10 to 13, inviting this redirected gospel ministry to join him in protecting her future from within and from without. And we now come to chapter 11 for the next few weeks, and we'll see Paul continue to humbly invite the Corinthian believers, therefore inviting us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction, so this is for us too to join him in securing her gospel future. He says here in verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Now, he's inviting the Corinthian believers in a very similar fashion that he was in chapter 10 in verse 1. Do you remember that invitation? Now I, Paul, myself, Parakala, I call you alongside. I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ to come alongside and, and let's move forward together. He's asking them to do the same thing here for further protection of their gospel future. While asking the Corinthians to come alongside and remain with him, in this train of thought and ministry direction, Paul is detailing for them what it's going to require for them to maintain its spiritual stability. From Corinth's introduction to the gospel through their early years, through their failures, and now through their comeback, Paul's humble approach to gain their confidence, seek their protection, and lead them to gospel work again is intimately evident throughout the remainder of this letter. We'll all continue to learn from Paul that taking humble, personal ownership of your gospel ministry, your individual gospel ministry, is the normal spirit-filled thing to do in the local church. I'll restate that. Somewhat of a proposition for the next several weeks. We're together through the early parts of chapter 12. Taking humble, personal ownership of your own gospel ministry is the normal spirit-filled thing to do in our church. This portion of scripture will be teaching us through Paul's example how to continue to take humble ownership of our personal gospel ministry right here among our own people. The disposition of ministry ownership is as critical as the doctrinal position of it. We often talk in those terms, doctrinal and dispositional. We already talked a lot about the disposition that a true believer arms themselves with that we've already read again in review in chapter 10 and verse 1. We arm ourselves with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. We say that Paul is taking a humble personal ownership of gospel ministry and it's normal. He exudes humility throughout the letter, but particularly in this next portion through the use of a word we see some 8 to 10 times. And it's a form of the word weakness. I'm going to finish up the introduction to the first six verses of chapter 11 by reviewing for us the why of the use of this word weakness all the way through chapter 12. And verse 13, to demonstrate again for us the dispositional reality that we need to be armed with if we're truly going to protect our own personal gospel ministry and the gospel ministry of our own church going forward. So, we see the word weakness in verse 21 of chapter 11 twice, and in verse 29, and in verse 30. We see it in chapter 12 and verse 5. Again, verse 21 of chapter 11, two times. We see it again in verse 29. We see it in verse 30. We see it in chapter 12, verse 9, verse 5, excuse me. We see it again in verse 9 twice and in verse 10 twice. Twice. Jesus even told Paul in chapter 12 and verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Then Paul exclaims, again, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. He goes on in verse 10, Therefore, I am well content with weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. For Paul, weakness is strength. If you want to cross-reference here, next to one of those verses that has that word, again, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Way back in his first letter to them, he talks about his purpose and his approach to them. When he first came to give them the gospel, he says, I came to you in weakness weakness, What's he talking about? Paul is just comparing the spirit-filled disposition of a gospel servant to a disgenuine, self-promoting falsehood. He's pointing the Corinthian people to the spiritual change in his life from his conversion forward. That change was brought about by omnipotence. God had taken him from being one who tortured the church to be a servant of Christ in that church. It was God's grace that trained and deployed Paul in gospel ministry. Anything and everything that Paul did was to show God strong and himself weak in comparison. You see, Paul wasn't spiritually weak because God is strong. His person, compared to the omnipotence of God in Christ, was certainly weak. The disgenuine false ones around him would always point to Paul's personal inability, his shortcomings as a speaker, his physical stature, his personhood as a minister of the gospel. And Paul would point them back to the great grace of God in Christ and take the attention off himself. And the false ones would call him weak for doing so. So Paul says, hey, if that's weakness, what they say I am, then I'll wear that t-shirt. I'll take that word as my middle name. If being weak is Jesus must increase and I must decrease, then... W is my middle initial. Amen. If being weak means that when I speak, I must preach in the power of another, the Holy Spirit and not my own, then sign me up for the club of the week. If speaking with great spiritual knowledge and poor rhetorical skills is weakness, then yes, align me with the company of the weak taking humble personal ownership of our own gospel ministry is to be numbered among the weak of the world in Christ. There's no self-promotion in that company. There's really zero tolerance for self-promotion among the company of the weak. The weak aren't going to have very many followers. There's not going to be many likers on their social media platform homepages. You might not trend on TikTok or Twitter if humble Jesus is involved, but you will be Documas. You will be approved. You'll be approved of God for sure. So we go back now to the continuation of this third and final section of this letter with this disposition in mind. Because what Paul's going to say here next in these first six verses of chapter 11 is only going to make sense to you if we have this dispositional understanding in our minds and in our hearts. These verses are very simply broken down for us by the grammar of the text. Most authors that you would read on this text, and many of you are studying similar commentaries with me along as we study this text together, they all say the same thing about the breakdown of these first six verses. Murray Harris, out of all of the commentators, and some of you are reading him along with me as we study this text, highlights what most agree by stating this that verse one is the introduction to these first six verses. Verses two through six are broken down into four different sections following that introduction simply by noting the word for, F-O-R. So in verse two, he says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Verse three, For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Verse 4. For if one comes preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, and then he talks about embracing another spirit or another gospel. We'll discuss that in a little bit. In verse 5. For I consider myself not in the least inferior To the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. He says here, by way of introduction again, before we get to those four sections all defined for us by the use of that word for, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. Paul is politely asking the Corinthians to continue to join him in learning what it means to take a humble, personal ownership of gospel ministry protection and progress. The word foolishness simply means that which doesn't take any thought. Okay? That's what it means at at uh, at its core in this time. Something that just doesn't take any thought. Now, we use that term foolishness negatively, and Paul uses it positively. In our culture, we could say that uh, two boys, two brothers, throwing a baseball in their front yard, right? one's a pitcher, one's a catcher, and the front of the house, the front yard, has the largest window of the whole house. And, and the one who's the catcher, is places himself before that window, right? We would say that's foolishness. It didn't take any thinking at all, right? For them to arrange that. That happened in my home. And from deep within the house, you could hear the crash of the window, and it didn't take but a nanosecond to figure out what happened. Thankfully those windows were still being manufactured and it could be replaced Positively in our culture When in a courtroom and many of you have been on maybe jury duty or in a courtroom for various reasons The trial's about to begin and the judge walks in and is introduced everyone instinctively does what all rise right? In a wedding when a bride makes her grand entrance to the ceremony and her mother stands and the rest of those assembled for the wedding automatically just do the same without much thought, without any thought at all. We could call both those opportunities to stand and show respect no-brainer. Decisions. And that's what Paul is humbly saying here to the Corinthians in Weakness. In God's strength, listen, could you bear with me a little longer and can we discuss some no-brainer spiritual realities of personal protection and gospel promotion among you? So these four points all described for us or detailed for us by the word for are going to be a review of that for us who are in Christ shouldn't take much thought at all. These should be slam-dunk realities in our minds and our hearts and relationship of what it means to humbly and personally function among one another in gospel work, okay? He says here in verse 2, number 1, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Paul likes to use normal emotions and he equate them to God. He speaks of righteous anger that the Lord has, and here he speaks of a godly jealousy. Living jealously is normally not a good thing, but apparently Paul says that humble personal gospel ministry protection and promotion requires godly jealousy. So jealousy is good here when it pertains to our personal gospel ministry among the saints. I was talking to someone in our ministry recently. They had led someone to Christ. They were discipling that person. Various pathways of keeping each other face to face for a few months during whatever the last 19 months have been. Uh, led them astray. It was difficult for them to meet over a screen and talk about personal spiritual realities in their lives and grow each other in Christ's likeness. So they drifted apart. And then this friend of theirs that they had led to Christ had discipled in Christ. The longer they were apart, they began to see their friend, join themselves to other spiritual loyalties among people and places that were not so healthy. So this sweet saint says, Pastor Tim, I feel really jealous. Is that wrong? Of course I tell her, no, that's not wrong. And quite frankly, it's good. If you didn't feel this way, and you had have been really saying what I saw Christ do in my friend's life was pretty mediocre. The ministry God gave me in her life was pretty purposeless and pointless. And the dramatic change in her life was of man and not God. So we're chill. Easy come, easy go. That's not weakness. That's not biblical meekness. We're jealous over what we saw the omnipotent power of God in Christ do in our friend's life. We're jealous over being able to sit down over God's inspired word and watch an indwelling spirit of God in both of us grow us towards Christ's likeness. It's all about his ability and our inability. And so, yes, we get jealous over the realities of what God's omnipotence is doing in each one of our hearts, and so we'll never be chill about that. We'll never be easy come, easy go about that, because it's what God's doing—something only God could do. Of course, when we see Christ change someone, the Spirit of God uses us to encourage their spiritual growth. And we're able to help that person walk into gospel ministry among the family of God. And certainly we're going to be hurt if they just seemingly casually walk away from it all. There are many of you here this morning, and that number is increasing more and more, that have taken this weak approach ministry and you've decided to allow the power of God to work in your life and in somebody else's life and then maintenance that spiritual growth personally soul to soul and you know that very special unique pain when you begin shepherding a soul and that soul for some reason just stops returning texts stops returning calls doesn't show up for three weeks in a row of your normal meeting time for prayer and devotion to God and discussion of gospel ministry in your lives, you know that's a unique and deep felt guttural pain. As a matter of fact, many of you that are involved in that kind of personal ministry with each other and someone walks away, you've come up to us pastors and you say, I don't know how in the world you do what you do because if just one person I've been shepherding walks away and I feel this jealousy and this pain, I can't imagine what you go through. So many of you that are arming yourselves with this kind of ministry weakness, you understand the jealousy, you understand the pain and it's real, it's tangible. That's godly jealousy. There are many, many texts in the Old Testament that speak of God being jealous when Israel walked away from him and serving other gods. Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24, chapter 5 and verse 19, chapter 6 and verse 15, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 32, 16, they made him jealous when the Israelites embraced strange gods. Joshua 24 and verse 19, he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. Psalm 78, 58, they aroused his jealousy with their graven images. All of us would say it's completely appropriate for sinless God to be jealous when his people walk away serving other gods or having other pagan loyalties, if you will. But Paul is saying here, it's okay if you are too. He is. Very clear. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. By the way, this jealousy... At this point, remember, they're restored to fellowship. They're restored to ministry partnership. They're restored to gospel progress together. So Paul is certainly jealous when he hears that Corinth is walking away. But remember, they've responded well. They're back with it now. And he says, I'm guarding jealously. And the language here says this is something of his daily, uh, his daily reality of what he felt for the Corinthian people. And I think it's fair. When he says, I wish that you would bear with me with a a little foolishness, I would think it's fair for us to say there's a no-brainer thing. It's a no-brainer thing. And my friends, it became very much of the opposite of that in the Christianity that many of us grew up with. Because for any one Christian to say that they were... Jealously overseeing the spiritual growth and Christ-likeness of another Christian would be deemed intrinsically nosy and somewhat legalistic and somewhat none of your business. But Paul doesn't say that. If we're following each other as we're both following Christ and the Word and one departs, there's a great agony in that. Our hearts hurt, not because they've turned away from us, but we're jealous with a godly jealousy. This is God's jealousy, not ours. This jealousy sourced in him as we are weak and he is strong. It's part of protecting the church. It's part and parcel of taking ownership of spiritual gospel ministry. If we share Christ, we grow each other in Christ, and we've enjoyed spirit-filled ministry together, And then its progress is threatened by ungodly, unapproved, adakimas forces. And if God's jealous and I'm humbly loving and caring in my weakness, in the Lord's strength, then I'll be jealous too. And I want you all to know that that which was before frowned upon in Christianity for many, many years is now smiled upon based on the authority of God's word. We are our brother and sister's keepers, my friends. Biblically, we are. In Christ Jesus. That's what weak people do. If others call you weak because we stand there according to the scriptures as Paul has written, then in Christ you're strong. For it's the truly spiritually weak that shy away from this transparent walk in Christ-likeness together. You say, Pastor, I've got enough hurt in my life right now. I just can't handle hurt from another in this way. Well, on your own, you're right. Paul couldn't either. He says, I am weak, but God is strong. In him you can Paul is expressing the value he has in his heart for the Corinthians when he expresses his spiritual jealousy for them, and it's the greatest value to be sure. So, personal humble gospel ministry will always entail a godly jealousy for those we minister with and to from time to time. And then verse, the second part of verse 2 and verse 3 uh, presents for us our next section, start, begin with the word for here again. He says, For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul uses the analogy here uh, of a Jewish wedding tradition. And that'll be our illustration to give us a um, a good picture in our minds of the truth that he's... That he's writing here. The Jewish wedding tradition was not much unlike ours. There was a betrothal period, then a formal nuptial ceremony. The betrothal period was usually up to a year. During that year, the father of the bride would do everything in his power to make sure the couple stayed morally pure with one another and uninfluenced to immorality with others. That was an intense oversight in the Mosaic culture. The betrothal period was legal and binding in its reality. If a couple was to become unengaged, then it would require a legal bill of divorcement. If either of the two were to be found immoral during that time, the one could divorce the other. And the Mosaic community consequences or being sexually immoral would ensue. But if all went as planned, there would be a nuptial ceremony and the couple would be formally and publicly wed. The father of the bride would present his virgin daughter to the groom at that nuptial ceremony. He had done his job well if this was the reality for his daughter. Paul uses this analogy of a wedding here to compare it to, a, to be, what it means to be spiritually wed to Christ. He's saying, I introduced you to the gospel. Through my preaching of Christ, you were betrothed to the groom, betrothed to Christ. While we persevere on this earth, we want to remain faithful during that betrothal period to the groom who is Christ until we see him on the wedding day when he returns to take his bride home to heaven with him at that formal nuptial ceremony in the clouds. And I'm telling you what, that wedding venue, best ever, nothing on Pinterest could compare to the visual of that wedding venue. And that's where the formal nuptial ceremony will take place. So humbly developing, hang on with me here, humbly developing personal gospel ministry includes the desire to keep each other spiritually pure until we see Christ. During this patrol period, we do not want to be, as Paul says here in the second part of verse 3, led astray from the simplicity and the purity To Christ. The Greek little preposition there too is the simplicity and purity towards Christ, or as we move forward in becoming like Christ. See, this is a progressive, gradual preparation to seeing Him. Paul is tremendously invested, as we should be in each other, to developing and protecting each other's growth in Christ's likeness. He's doing the same with the Corinthians. What a tremendous honor and opportunity we have to help each other grow to be more like Jesus. The pull of the world is oh so strong. But the pull of the grace of God in Christ towards this weak reality is so much stronger. Amen. If you feel compelled by grace to be protected and protect others in Christ and prepare them for his return, then that's God's grace, that's Christ being formed in your heart as Paul taught the Colossian believers. The true Christian servant doesn't want to lead from up front or from behind, but from among God's children to assist and to protect their gospel growth and progress. Any spirit filled saint should increasingly desire to come alongside another saint to achieve this goal of preparation to see Christ. And the distraction is also found in verse 3 that we've already read. Satan loves to distract, what does Paul say here? The mind. Remember that the mind but i am afraid as the serpent deceived eve verse 3 by his cra- by his craftiness your minds will be led astray satan's first appeal is always to the intellect to distract god's people away from the truth that is christ jesus the mind is the battleground for truth ever since the garden of eden adam and eve allowed satan to alter their thinking regarding God and his spoken revealed word, therefore, alter their devotion to the Lord. So I would ask us all, what in our thinking dissuades or tempts your devotion to Christ or your devotion to this weak but strong lifestyle that Paul's laying out here in his heart for the Corinthian believers? We could spend an eternity here on this matter of the mind but time does not afford us to do so. Keeping our minds set on the goal of being presented to the groom and his appearing and helping someone else do the same will keep us focused for sure. And that's what God's called ministry in weakness. Ministry in weakness. This is the ministry of the saint of the local church. This is not the me, this is the we of local church reality. And As we know, we've said many times, the New Testament doesn't one time speak of genuine ministry being an individual experience, an individual reality. It's something that we do together for sure. So, we know the importance of spiritual jealousy and gradual growth and the protection of gospel progress and ministry. Let's go on this morning and learn together the importance of protection and progress in relationship to understanding the mind of Christ and ministry by considering here verse 4. Right, what is the mind of Christ in verse 4? Well, we need to know that complement is always in order when we're growing each other up in Christ's likeness. Look at the last part of verse four before we go to the first part of the verse. Paul says here, very, very carefully, right? You bear this beautifully. You bear this beautifully. So he's telling this group that has a renewed growth in Christ's likeness As he shares with them how to protect their growth in Christ-likeness and their gospel progress together, he he finds them to be in the faith, so therefore he's assuming their growth, and so he's able to complement their humanity here. You're doing a great job with this, by the way. And what were they doing a great job with? It's the introduction of our third point here by the use of the word for. For, verse 4. For, if we have not preached, for if one comes, excuse me, and preaches another Jesus, and we have not preached, that's number one, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, that's number two, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. So Paul's saying there continues to be from the outside, and maybe a little bit from within, some odd unapproved people, uh, doing these three things. These three things are really part of one whole reality of a message. The false ones had a message to proclaim. The dark reality was the messaging and the signaling of the false ones could potentially harm the growth of the true ones inside the church. Now, some of you may be thinking right away of similar words that Paul used in Galatians chapter 1 particularly, I believe, verses 6 through 9. There's where he warned and said there was a group that preached another gospel and their message was to be accursed. Do you remember that? The other gospel there was simply teaching that Jesus was never enough. Words of the law needed to be added to faith in Christ. Demands of the law, such as circumcision and so forth. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, that's just nonsense. Now, hang on with me here as we wrap up this morning because something's a little bit different here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm sure it may have included the messaging of the false ones in Galatians 1, but the preachers pirating the work of God in Corinth were what historians call triumphalists. They were triumphalist in their messaging they preached a christ that would be king there's power in having a sovereign ruler of the world to which we commit our loyalty rulership over the cosmos is true power that's a man's man's king Any Jesus that would die at the hands of a Roman Empire was weak. There's that word again, weakness. False religion never sees the humility of Christ's life and sacrifice sufficient to transform a soul, to lead a people group. True power would never be born in a stable, apprentice as the son of a carpenter, or minister with a small following, and die a vandal's death. But Jesus preached, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Paul preached, In my weakness he is made strong. The carpenter's son, humble, divine strength, is now mine in him. And our triumph is not now, but in the kingdom to come, where Christ will reign in purity of light and righteousness throughout the whole earth. The triumphalist approach to living for another Jesus my friends, is still alive and well in our time. It certainly is found in the prosperity gospel message. It certainly is found in ministry where the mere human leader of a ministry becomes the epicenter of all that is good and done through that ministry. Many of you are listening to a podcast that become quite viral. The rise and fall of a particular person, in a particular ministry. There's many other like that in our time. There still, unfortunately, are many ministers of another Jesus who say many, many conditional statements that if you do this, then you will receive this. Then you will know physical health. Then you will know financial prosperity. Then you will know these blessings. That's a message of another gospel. That's the receiving of another spirit. That's the reception of another Jesus. And the word other here in this context in the Greek means another of a different kind. It's literally cannot be the same. They may have the same name, but it's not the same person. These were religious triumphalists. These were ones that were self-promoters. These were ones that needed to have the limelight. They needed to hear their, have others hear their message. They had something. And when other men lifted them up because their message was popular, they did not serve in weakness with humble disposition. Man-centered ministry is triumphalist ministry. A ministry that man alters away from the sufficiency and focus of the glory of God in Christ Jesus will always end up being a triumphalist man-centered ministry. The gospel in Christ includes a humble Christ who appeared on earth by the grace of his father according to the scriptures of the Old Testament prophets. He was humbly born, he humbly ministered, And he died the death of a murderer because he died my death, your death, our death, that we might live. To him be the glory and no glory to any man for we are weak. The concluding mention of the word for is in verses five and six here. For I consider myself not in the least in fear to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. There's some glorious transparency here, folks, as Paul concludes this first section. It's very, very simple. Humble personal ministry includes keeping the right company. Keeping the right company. Paul's distractors, Paul's enemies, or enemies of the gospel, these people of another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus, these people criticized him because he claimed to be an apostle of the true Christ. But he says here, in defense of his own ministry, Look, I don't have a problem being aligned in my company with the eminent apostles. The eminent apostles here were Christ's original band of 12. Study it out on your own. We don't have time to go through the whole history. Paul says, you know what? It doesn't really matter to me if you don't value me at all. As you would value those who walked with Christ for three years in his public ministry. I have no problem aligning myself with them, not because of my name, not because of my heritage, not because of my education, because of knowledge. The word knowledge here is so important. I'm aligning myself with the logos of God in Christ, the true knowledge of God in Christ. I'm aligning myself with, with the salvation that I myself had received as a persecutor of the church in Christ Jesus. That's true knowledge. We have no knowledge that's valuable apart, spiritual knowledge apart from the person of Christ himself. He must increase and I must decrease. So if you're going to criticize me because I call myself one of the true apostles, one of the eminent ones, that's fine. Because you're looking for a pedigree, a self-promoting pedigree, and you know that I will never self-promote. I will promote knowledge, and I will promote knowledge in Christ because true disciples of Christ, that's good company. Amen. And that company is a weak company. Amen. They're always weak because they exclusively find, exclusively find their spiritual strength in Jesus alone and his word alone. And they walk through this old... Earth together. Striving, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, towards Christ-likeness, only together. So yes, Paul says, I'm all about, if hanging around the right people, being included among the eminent ones... Includes being a poor speaker but having true knowledge in Christ and growth in him and growth in him together and count me in I want to be numbered among that group I'll sing the praises of its leader and not my own let's pray together Our Father in heaven, we we know that you use broken things. We are broken because of our sin. By the power, your power in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been made new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We long, Lord, to be always numbered among the company of the faithful who may be described by the world as weak because we find our strength in a humble, glorious Savior. By your grace, Lord, help us all, each of us. This is a need, Father, in heaven of Every soul in a church, whether that church has 10 in it or thousand in 10, or 10,000 in 10. Every soul, Lord, needs to be armed with what it means to be truly jealous, as a weak one. Truly involved with the shepherding of one another towards Christ's likeness, helping each other guard our minds those that would seek to deceive. All of us, Lord, need to be preparing each other towards that nuptial ceremony in the clouds. The crazier, the darker, the noisier the world becomes financially, politically, Medically, domestically, academically, socially. May the weak ones in Christ here band together, championing the cause together, pursuing what it means to be like our Jesus who saved us. And as we do so, Lord. May our reality be the reality of the Corinthian church as Paul was to leave her after his third visit. Prepared to go and take the gospel to regions beyond. For a truly spiritually weak people is a strong people. A strong people is a prepared people to band together to take the message of our beautiful Savior To those who do not know him yet, may that be our reality continually at Grace Church. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.